All right. Um, I am. Uh, I'm going to continue kind of with the uh, with the book of Ephesians. I say kind of because I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to be uh, looking at just a, a verse. Um, Actually, just a word from a verse in this passage of, of uh, Ephesians that we're in. But if you remember last week, we've kind of been on a, uh, we've kind of spent several weeks looking at relationships and roles, um, from trying to do that from kind of a big picture, uh, uh, you know, first looking at what is the glory, um, the glory of the substance, the glory of the shadow, and then bringing that into uh, the way that Paul teaches about relationships uh, in the flesh as they correspond to and reflect eternal realities in Christ. We've been doing that for several weeks. Last week I, I kind of did a big chunk of um, Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, towards the end there, and I, and I because that whole, that whole 10 or 12 verses I looked at last week all has to do with, with um, uh, marriage. I tried to cover that whole thing just in one fell swoop, and, and, and there were some things that I uh, ran over really quickly and didn't get, a, uh, didn't get a chance to say much about. So uh, I said last week that I, I may come back and, and pick up a couple little pieces of things that I skipped over, and one of them, and I decided to do that, one of them... Uh, one of them is this particular verse, uh, Ephesians 5.25. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to be uh, reading a handful of scriptures this morning, and I don't know if you just want to listen to me, write, jot down the reference and look them up on your own time, or you can follow along if you want to, but um, you'll have to be kind of quick flippers to, to uh, follow me here. But we're going to start with Ephesians 5.25. As husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up on its behalf, that He may sanctify. There's the key word there: that He might sanctify the church, cleansing it by the washing of the water of the word. Um, just so happens that my heart's been been. The Lord's, I think, had my heart on on uh, two words really: sanctification and and glorification. Uh, for some time, and um, and so it just it, it, it fit for me to go back and to spend a little time talking about this. Um, Paul Paul is saying here that Christ is working in the church to sanctify us, cleansing us by the washing of the water of the word. And uh, and I just want to look at I want to look at that reality of sanctification, um, and and I want to start by doing. Uh, well, I want to start just by reading some scriptures, and and I want to just read them first, just so that they're in, they're in your head and they're in your ears, and then we'll go back as we as as I uh, work through this message. We're going to re- revisit most of these again as we as we work through this. But I just want to say I just want these things to be kind of bouncing around in your head while we're while we're sharing here. So, the first one is John seventeen seventeen. These are just fantastic scriptures that uh, we could spend a lot of time with each of these, but um, so I, you might want to just jot them down and spend some time looking at them this week. John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them in truth. This is Jesus praying to his Father. 
uh, right before he goes to the cross. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word <laughs> is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and I sanctify myself for them, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Uh, Acts 20, verse 32. Paul says, And now, brothers, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those being sanctified. All those being sanctified. Now, uh, it's important that your translation says being sanctified there instead of just all those who are sanctified. Some translations just have, the, uh, have it like it's a finished uh, action and it's not. In, in the original Greek, it's, it's not. Uh, same, same thing with this next verse in Acts 26, 14. This is Paul giving his little story um, about the, the road to Damascus. <clears throat> and he says this. He says, All of us falling to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the... This translation says prods uh, or goads. And I said, Who are you, sir? And he said, I am Jesus, who you persecute. But rise up, stand on your feet, for it is for this reason I have appeared to you to appoint you a servant and a witness both of what you saw and the things in which I will appear to you. Having delivered you from the people and the nations to whom I now send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God in order that they may receive remission of sins and an inheritance, here's the part I'm trying to get to here, an inheritance among those being sanctified by faith in me. Being sanctified by faith in me. Uh, here's another one, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy, He having regenerated us to a living expectation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, the ones in the power of God being guarded through faith to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Second um, Thessalonians 2.13 uh, But we ought to thank God always concerning you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and faith in the truth, to which He called you through our gospel, to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that's a lot, um, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take it apart a little bit here. What is sanctification? That's a good place to start. And 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 actually, because sanctification is such a common word, I think in the in the body of Christ, it's it's usually a good idea, I think, to start by describing what sanctification is not. Uh, I do that because we oftentimes have so many uh, pre preconceptions that, that need to be, before we even have a heart to look to see what is a reality in Christ, we, sometimes we need to flush what isn't. Sanctification is, is generally understood. People, when they think of sanctification, they think of becoming a better Christian, uh, becoming more like Jesus. Um, 
and 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 I suppose while there is some some measure of truth to that, it is not a process of becoming more like Christ through discipline or through effort uh, or through abstaining from from uh, so-called unchristian things. That's not what's that's not what sanctification is. It it does not involve dedicating yourself to the Lord or, or dedicating yourself to the church. Uh, in fact, sanctification is not even something you do, nor is it something that you avoid doing. It does, as a matter of fact, involve uh, being conformed to the image of Christ. That, that much is true. Uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a process whereby we are transformed or changed or conformed to the indwelling life of Christ. And, 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 and honestly, a lot of theological textbooks will get that much right. But it's the process itself. It's the nature of the process that we're confused about. It's, it's the way that that happens. It's the question of how. How are we conformed to the image of Christ? What does that even mean? That's where I believe that we're so, so often in the dark. So sanctification, as, just as a word, has to do with separation. And you, and you have to realize that because that's, that, is a, that is the key. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's simply defined as setting apart. Uh, consecration is a word that, that, that means uh, very close to the same thing. But again, what do we understand about this separation? What are we separated from? How does that separation take place? Paul says in our verse today, we're sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. What, what is that all about? In, in another verse, Paul says, we are sanctified by the spirit through faith in the truth. Through truth. Um, and, and those two are describing the exact same thing in, in, in different language. Um, but before we get into that, I want to uh, I want to just look at first of all the question of what we are separated from. I was reading in a Tias and Sparks book in the last uh, maybe a week or two ago, and uh, he made this statement. He said, "With the fall, an entangling, with the fall of man back in the back in the garden, an entangling with another nature and order took place. It became organic, therefore constitutional. Constitutional meaning part of our constitution." part of our makeup. And that's a very brief, uh, but a very accurate summary. We, we can't understand sanctification. We can't understand this separation until we understand what it is we need to be separated from. As a race, as a kind, the Adamic kind, we have fallen. And, 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 and we, we often talk about the fact that we have fallen from something, and that is true. We have fallen from the glory of God. We have fallen from purpose, but we've also fallen into something. We've fallen into an entanglement with a nature and an order that maintains a deep control over the soul. Uh, a nature and an order that has complete jurisdiction over your entire being. And, and it's impossible to accurately depict that with words. You have to see it. You have to face it in the light. You, you, you have to... You have to come face to face with that reality. You see, man has always been a soul. The soul was breathed into our earthen vessel on the day that man was created in the garden. You all have read that story. It says, you know, God blew his breath into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. And that soul 
as you know, was created to be the habitation for the living God. It was created to be the perfect environment for the glory of God. That was, that was the purpose of that soul. And, and if, you can, if you can bear with me here and handle the, uh, the uh, weakness of this analogy, the soul is a little bit like a sponge. A sponge that had in itself the capacity to absorb into itself to bear in itself, to hold or carry pure, clean water. And then that sponge fell from glory. Okay, But it didn't just fall out of the bucket of water. It fell into a swamp of sewage and sickness that, that saturated every pore and every crevice of that sponge. See, that's something of a... That's a, it's a dim picture, but it's something of a picture of, um, of man's fall. It's a, it's a picture of our entanglement with all that is contrary to the nature and way of God. I was thinking this week about this verse. This verse is always uh, gives me the, uh, the shivers, I guess. It, Jesus says this one time. He says, you are those that justify yourselves before men. But the things that are highly esteemed in the eyes of man are detestable in the sight of God. And that's a that, that word detestable has always always frightened me. It's such a strong word, but it's not too strong. It's not too strong when the light shows us what's real, when the light shows us what's there. You know, despite every objection that we make or to the contrary, and despite our complete blindness to the reality, our soul is born twisted and knotted up in a nature and in an order that, that, that constrains all that we think and all that we do. And it's a nature and, and, and an order that is without God and it is without glory. It is, it is, it is the profound and, and overpowering relationship that Paul describes as slavery to sin. That's what we're born into. We're born slaves of sin. And this is the effect of the lie that we believe. So sanctification has to do with the solution. It has to do with the reversing of that situation. First of all, sanctification is a word that has to do with the objective, finished reality of what the cross has accomplished. In the cross of Jesus Christ, the, the first was separated from the second. Okay, we all know here that when I say first, I mean the, the old man, the old creation, the old covenant, separated from a new creation, new covenant, new man. Death was separated from life. Adam was separated from Christ. Jesus, having gone, having gone down into the sickness and blackness of fallen humanity, having borne its guilt and shame before God, having, having taken it out of, out of uh, God's sight like the scapegoat from way back in the the old covenant, taking it out of the camp. Um, Jesus was then lifted up out of the earth, lifted up. In fact, in almost every case, when the New Testament says that Jesus was raised from the dead, a literal translation will say he's raised out from among the dead. Uh, because it's like he was projected out of the earth or, or like the earth vomited him up. It's uh, there's a picture of that in Jonah and the whale, how the how the you know the whale barfed him up onto the 
you know, and Jesus says, like three, like the like Jonah and the whale, I will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Yeah, but but after that, he was too righteous to hold. He was too perfect to remain there. He needed to die there, but he couldn't remain there. You understand? The earth couldn't hold him. So having put away sin from the sight of God, Christ had no more business with that realm. He had no more business with that order, with that nature, with that kind. And he and so he left. And this is, you know... He, he separated himself from that realm, from that nature, from that order, and this is the this is the ascension. And we're we're so used to thinking of the ascension as just Jesus is flying off to space or something, but but it's a separation from that from the realm, from the reality that he put away from God. He ascended so that he might, as it says in Ephesians 4, he ascended so that he might fill all things of a new creation. He ascended, bringing many sons to glory. He ascended so that he would forever be separated from the first man and the first creation and so that we could be separated from it in him. So that we could be separated from all of that in him, and this is what was on Jesus' mind the night that he, uh, the night before he went to the cross. You know, you, 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 I wish I could get in Jesus' mind the, the day before the cross. Well, you can. It, 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 he prayed. He prayed out loud so everyone could hear and remember and write down. This is what he spoke to his father uh, in, in, the, <clears throat> in the presence of his disciples. He says, "Father, I desire that that those who 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 you have given me be with me where I am." And then and then he said this. For this reason I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified in me. For this reason I'm separated from that death, that they might also be separated in me. For this reason I've come up from the dead, out from the dead, that I might then turn to them and be their resurrection and their life out from among the dead. You see, for this reason I've put, I've put away the first, that I may appear to them in the second without any reference to sin, without any reference to what I have put away. Do you see that's, Ephes uh, that's uh, Hebrews 9, 28? And, 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 and that's the nature of sanctification. Now, in a moment, I'm going to talk about the process of sanctification that works in us, but the process is only the soul's possession and, and appropriation of this objective reality. It's only the soul's experience of this separation. That's what the process is. The nature of sanctification has to do with separation. It has to do with leaving something so far behind that it becomes forgotten and meaningless. Just as the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, uh, the prophets say, the former things will no longer come to mind. Those of you who have begun uh, the journey of Christ being revealed in you, you know that after just not, not too long at all, you, you begin to forget Someone says, "How did you see this verse before you saw it in the light?" And I, I don't remember. I don't. It doesn't. I don't. I can't even recall. That mind, that man, that that order, it it, it, it actually, it ceases. It's it's left behind. It's separated from your soul. You can't even really remember. I can't remember what I was afraid of. I can't remember what made me angry. I can't. You know. The, the transformation of the soul is a separation from that whole realm. May it be that I would never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through whom the whole world is crucified to me and I'm crucified to the world. Paul, what were you ambitious about in those early years? I, 
I honestly can't remember. Paul, what were you afraid of before you started seeing Christ as your life? You know, it's escaped me. It's left me. It's been separated from me. So Christ, Christ before he became a man, he, he was already separated from that fallen nature and that order. But he came to make a door. You have to see this. He came to make a door. He made a door through his death. His death is offered to us as our door. Our door is his death. And if we will walk into that death and embrace all that that death means, embrace the end that that death means, then we will find Jacob's ladder on the other side. A ladder that reaches into the heavens. A ladder that takes us out of one realm and takes us into where he is. Father, I desire that they who you have given me be with me where I am. I, where, where are you, Jesus? I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So the Lord Jesus, he cuts between these realms and these realities with this, with this sharp sword, this, this sword of the, of, of the cross. And it's a division that will never heal. It's a, it's a division. It's permanent. It's, it's immovable. And now, and now all that God has, all that God has relationship with, all that God wants is on the side that is represented by Christ. And I know, of course I know, I know that, that God has relationship with believers who are still, they still have earthen bodies, but those earthen bodies don't define the location or the habitation or the inheritance of the soul. That's not really, that's where you, that's, you are on earth, you are in Christ. For you and I, for us right now, Paul says, we are raised up and seated with him in the heavenlies in Christ. You have been sanctified as a matter of fact. You have been separated as a matter of God's view. And yet there remains the inward disentanglement with the order and nature that God has disassociated with. The order and nature that God has already disassociated with. We are in Christ. There's no, there's no question about that. There's nothing that anything can do, anyone can do about that. Not, not angel or demon or future or Pat, whatever that, you know, Romans 8. We are in Christ. But we are in Christ as those who by nature were part of what God has forsaken, what God has separated from himself. We are in Christ, we are in heaven, but we are there as those who begin our journey exclusively conscious of the wrong realm. Hence the need for the renewing of our mind. You understand what I'm saying? We are there as those who are conscious of the wrong man, the wrong place, the wrong reality. And so there is the fact of our being translated out of the kingdom of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians 1, and into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That's a fact. But then there is the inward separation, the soul's disentanglement with what God has abandoned. There is the fact of having left Egypt, and then there is the experience of Egypt leaving our hearts. You see, there is the fact of Ishmael being sent out of Abraham's sight, a separation that was immediate. And then there is the experience of knowing Isaac as Abraham's only son. You following me? The fact of what God has done is finished and can't be contended with. God has taken that 
that uh, sponge soaked with mud and filth, and he has permanently deposited it into an ocean of pure living water, okay? If we're going back to our analogy here. And, and it's there forever. It's not going anywhere. It will never be anywhere else. But, but, but still, there is, there is still the filth and the sludge that has saturated its every pore. And that, and that mud, that mud it, it's not your bad habits. It's not your bad language. It's not your bad behavior. That's not what the mud is. That's not what sanctification is primarily aiming at. That mud is what you have called your life. That mud is what you have known on the wrong side of that divide. That mud is what you desired, and the reason you desired it, it's the self-life that your soul has always called me. That mud is the, it's the residue of a nature and an order that you associate with yourself. That's why Paul says, I am bearing about the dying of Jesus. Not things are dying off of me. I am dying. I am being crucified. And so there needs to be something, something drastic done about this residue. There needs to be a thorough purging and erasing and mortifying of all that is not water. In this, in this ocean of living water, there has to be a, a removal. And that brings us to the question of how sanctification works. What is this process of sanctification? What is the method? What kind of a soap could actually cleanse the human conscience? That's what Hebrews, that's how Hebrews describes, describes this process two times. The cleansing of the conscience. Conscience. Conscience, not simply, uh, you know, a lot of times when we think of, a, you know, the, our, our, our conscience, we're, we're thinking of a guilty conscience, or maybe we look at that verse and think he's trying to resolve our guilty conscience, but actually it's permanently altering what you are conscious of. Removing from your consciousness what lies behind the cross, cleansing your conscience so that it corresponds to what God sees and what God knows. So what, what has the power, that's my question, what has the power to, to expunge an entire false life and a false reality from our heart? Only one thing. Only the living word only the revelation of Christ himself, only the truth. It is, it is truth that washes us from all that is a lie. It is truth that removes from us everything that does not have a place in God. Truth. But what is truth? You've got you to gotta take it th that next step because, well, we don't know what truth is. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus that question 2,000 years ago. Remember, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate and Jesus says, all who are on the side of truth believe in me. And, and Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus didn't answer him anything because the answer to that question is not words. Jesus didn't answer, answer Pilate because Pilate was looking at truth and couldn't see it. 
And no words were going to solve that problem. We need to settle this issue in our hearts. Truth, truth can be described by words. Truth can be described by the pages of your Bible. But words cannot contain truth. And making application of true words to your life is powerless and pointless. True words will never sanctify your soul. Truth is the soul's apprehension of Christ, our life, in the light. That's truth. Truth is the person and place and life and reality of Christ known by the Spirit. Truth has to do with an inward possessing of the finished work of Christ by the revealing of that work the work of the Spirit of Truth Himself. Truth involves the reality of where Christ lives, what Christ is, how Christ sees. And if we will let the Spirit of God show us this truth, then we can occupy and abide in Christ. We can live in Him. <clears throat> if we will let the Spirit of God do that work in us, begin, finish what He started the day we were born again, our first flash of faith, then we will be set apart. We will be separated unto. We will be sanctified in the truth. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. For this reason I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So sanctification... Sanctification is where, the, is where the Spirit of truth guides us into all truth. Jesus says that in John 14 through 16. He says something like that three times. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He will take what is mine and reveal it to you, separating you from everything else. Do you know that for you who are born again, everything other than the truth is a lie? That's not true of unbelievers, but for you who are born again, everything other than the truth is a lie. I wonder if we've faced that. I wonder if we've faced that, 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 that reality, that fact that once you're born of the truth, ignorance of the truth is, is an acceptance of and an agreement with a lie. And people have said to me before, you know, what's the big deal about Christians not really knowing this truth that, that, that you're talking about? You know, we're all quote, going to heaven one day, and I'm sure we'll figure it out then. What's, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, besides the obvious problems with the theology there, the question overlooks a very serious point. To refuse the truth is to prefer a lie. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is death. Ignorance is contrariness to the person and purpose of God. Ignorance for a Christian is a love affair with a lie. And if we will not grow up in the truth, ignorance is just another face of rebellion. No, thank you, God. I'll take my inheritance here on the other side of the Jordan. God replies, there is no inheritance there except for the one in your imagination that you have established in opposition to me. And that's why we have to... This has been on my heart too and you've heard me... If those of you in our groups, you've heard me talking about Joshua and Caleb who follow the Lord fully over and over again as it talks about the, the uh, 
the Israelites who would not follow the Lord into the land, who would not follow the Lord from provision to purpose. It says, you are rebellious and stiff-necked people, blah, blah, you're, you know, you're unbelieving. And, and then it keeps saying, except, except for Joshua and Caleb, who have followed the Lord fully. We must follow the Lord with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and let him show us what is real. Let, let him show us the land. You can't stop along the way. I mean, you can. But, but, but to stop along the way is to cling to something that isn't even real. It's to prefer ignorance over truth, to reject reality in favor of some deadly fantasy, some suicidal imagination. Like Abraham a long time ago, the spirit of truth, he leads us into a land that must be revealed. What, what is the first thing that God says to Abraham? Abraham, leave your country. This is the first dealing of God with, with this man. Abraham, leave your country, kindred, and father's house and go unto a land that I will reveal to you. I will show you the land. Sanctification is where the Spirit of Truth escorts us into this heavenly land and all that we have called our country, all that we have called our kindred, all that we have called our Father's house is forgotten and forsaken. Jesus says strong words about this very thing. Everything that was part of what we were, where we were, and that to which we belonged, none of it had anything to do with Abraham, Abraham's inheritance, if you think about that story. You know, it wasn't... It wasn't true of him any longer. And all of it had to be washed away from his soul in order for him to see and receive and possess his inheritance. You know, Abraham could not possess. God made sure to, to uh, frustrate every effort of Abraham to, to possess anything through a natural inheritance, anything that was not according to faith. You know, he couldn't possess anything by natural effort or natural vision or natural association. He he tried to bring he tried to bring in his father. You know when he first left, and, and that didn't work. He tried to bring a lot, and, and 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 then he tried to create the seed of promise through Ishmael, but God would would not let him inherit something of the earth. God had set him apart for a heavenly inheritance. And when Abraham first arrived at that land, there was nothing, nothing according to sight. You know, there were there were arguments with with, lo, with the locals there about wells. There was famine that sent him fleeing to Egypt. There was nothing in that land for him according to natural sight. With his natural eyes, there was nothing for him to possess. And so that's why you hear the Lord's call to Abraham: "Lift up your eyes, Abraham. Lift up your eyes." And look, you will not, indeed you cannot, see my inheritance if your eyes are looking down here. It's a heavenly land, Abraham. It's a heavenly inheritance. You cannot inherit my promise unless you are set apart from all that was previous and possess it by faith. You will not experience my inheritance until you are separated unto it, sanctified unto it, and possess it by faith. See, this is, see if you can see, I'm just going to read this uh, section in Genesis here. Uh, Genesis 13, 5, 
you can jot this one down too. See if you can see in this type here, type and shadow, exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Lot, who was uh, Abraham's relative, nephew or something, it says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them both, that they might live together. For their substance was great, so that they could not live together. And there was strife, enmity, between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land and Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are men, brothers, is not the whole land before you? I pray you, separate yourself from me. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all of the circuit of Jordan, that it was all well watered. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of uh, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you come to Zoar. And Lot chose for himself all the circuit of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, and Lot lived in the cities uh, and pitched his tents towards Sodom. Uh, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord, exceedingly so, and after Lot, here's the, here's the key right here. And after Lot was separated from him, the Lord said to Abraham, Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your seed forever. <clears throat> here is Abraham being sanctified by faith. In type and shadow, obviously, but being set apart, being set apart from what he had brought with him so that he could actually see what lied right before him. Understand? He, forgetting what, what lied behind, possessing what was before him, Paul says. Possessing what was in his presence. And now we, we bring this into its new covenant counterpart, and remember now, remember the words of, of Christ uh, to Paul on the road to Damascus and see if you can hear the same reality in this story where Paul, God says to Paul, I'm sending you to the, to the nations to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God in order that they may receive remission of sins and an inheritance among those being sanctified by faith in me. It's the same with Paul's words uh, to the church in Ephesus. When he, when he left them for the ship, he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, the word itself, the word himself. This isn't a book he's talking about. Any book. The word himself, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those being sanctified. This is the very first thing that God says to Paul, that the Lord says to Paul. Paul, there's, there's an inheritance. It's, it's a true possessing of a heavenly land. Your forefathers walked out the type and shadow of it. I've come to make that a reality. It has to do with coming to live where I am. It has to do with seeing as I see and experiencing all that I am and have. But like your forefather Abraham, Paul, this inheritance is not possessed by sight. 
I'm sending you to, to help lift up people's eyes. I'm sending you to proclaim this inheritance for those who will be sanctified by faith in me. Paul, what things were gained to you, you will count them loss. You will be separated from them. But faith, Paul, faith will possess a better land. Faith, faith will possess a heavenly country. And you will find yourself, as Paul often says of himself, a citizen of heaven. Forgetting those things which were behind. Possessing those things which are before me. Everything else I count as rubbish. To lay hold of him. So I hope you can see something of the reality that I'm trying to describe here by uh, this word sanctified. Sanctification. Sanctified in truth. Sanctified by faith. I hope you can see that uh, it is the truth. Not true words, not true doctrines, not true teachings. The truth that sets you apart in your heavenly country. It's the truth that strips the earth from your heart and makes you a heavenly being. It's the truth of Christ revealed by the Spirit Himself. This is what caused the apostles to live in the heavens even though their vessel was bound to the earth. This is how Paul could abide in the Father. I'm sorry, this is how Christ could abide in the Father even though he was walking through all the cities in, uh, in, in Israel. This is how Paul was content in, in all natural circumstances, content to live on in the body, content to have his earthen body taken from him. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the soul's apprehension of truth. And by that, the possession of our inheritance. All that Christ is, is yours to inherit. And yet nothing that Christ is, is accessed or possessed or inherited apart from faith apart from the revealing of Christ in you, apart from the mind of the Lord operating in your soul. You are set apart unto the, the universe of Christ when truth begins to wash away one man and reveals another. This is, a, this is it. I mean, this is a huge deal. Jesus says... Jesus says to his father, Father, everything I... This is in John 17, in my paraphrase. But Jesus says, Father, everything I have is theirs. Everything I am is theirs. My glory, I've given it to them. My love is theirs. My inheritance is their, theirs to, to share. Indeed, they are, they are co-heirs with me. Co-heirs with me in this inheritance. Father, I don't, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. That's what he says. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. That's not what they need. I only pray that you sanctify them in the truth. See, so many in the church today are sadly waiting to be taken out of the world in order to experience their inheritance. Jesus himself prays. I'm not even asking for that. That's not, the, that's not where, the, where the solution comes into play. So many people, you know, that's what we do. We project into the future the present realities of Christ that are possessed by faith. And it's because, because sight cannot access them now, we assume that sight will access them later. Natural sight. Eyeballs here I'm talking about. But that's a lie. Sight doesn't access Christ. Faith accesses Him now, and faith will access Christ forever. 
I don't pray, Father, that you take them out of the world. I pray that you sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. For this reason, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart in the heavenly land of life and reality that they may be set apart in me. Let me just read this last uh, scripture that we read before, but we'll stop with this and we'll be done. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought to thank God always concerning you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because uh, God chose you from the beginning to salvation, a salvation in the sanctification of the Spirit and faith in the truth to which he called you through our gospel to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, uh, I never got to the one in First uh, Peter chapter 1, but that would be too much for this week. So I'll, I'll probably continue with that next week. Amen. Let's just pray and we'll be done. Father.